You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 24 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, January 20th. My name's Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. And Asher King. Hey, guys. We've had a little bit of time off over Christmas, and Rue recorded the interview with William Finnegan, which was very enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, that was that was uh, really enjoyable, and I had a long chat with him, actually, around that interview as well. And uh, yeah, he's a really lovely, kind man i thought and we'll, we'll talk actually a bit more about his interview later in the show because a few people mm-hmm. wrote in about it yeah absolutely so it's been i mean we've been all been quite busy i think all myself and asher both went home for a little bit over christmas a little holiday yeah and uh the surf world has been busy so we've got lots and lots of news to uh tidy up we've obviously got the um the world tour wrapping up at pipeline we've got kelly's wave pool and all that sort of thing but in the meantime what have you been up to um well, the El Nino winner that's been very hyped uh, hasn't really delivered too much in Central America. So I've actually been spending a lot of time on a longboard since we've been back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a new 9.7 single fin and uh, yeah, I've been surfing that almost every day. Okay. I've rediscovered longboarding as well. I mean, largely inspired by you, actually. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's, it's been so fun. Uh, a, a guest who stayed with us, Eddie O'Brien, if you're listening, thank you so much, Eddie, because he gave me this beautiful old, I think it's like an 8.6. Oh, it's beautiful. Big old heavy log with a single fin in the back. And uh, yeah, I've just got it. We've had it. We've had like two weeks of knee to waist high waves, really beautiful offshores every day. And I've just got really back into riding a longboard again. And it's funny because I actually, when I lived in the UK about 10 years ago, I, I, I had an 811. I don't know why it was an 811. Yeah, strange number. That was the board that I had. And I, that was just my go-to board for about a year. And I really enjoyed riding it. And then I sort of, when I moved over here, I, I was just riding short boards and fishes mm-hmm. all the time. And I sort of got away from it. But we were talking about this before. There's a lot of guys that you see out in the water riding longboards walking like two-thirds of the way up the board. Oh, the biggest mistake. And then standing there as if they're on the nose two-thirds of the way up. And I, and I've, I see other people do it, and then I'm like, ah, oh, that's not cool. Oh, am I doing that? Am I doing I probably oh, do do no. that. It's sort of like when you're in a nightclub dancing, and then you see someone dancing really <laughs> badly, and then you become a bit self-conscious about your own dancing. Yeah, it's funny. We kind of uh, live in a bit of a surf town, and when the waves get small, everyone seems to get a little bit grouchy about the lack of waves. But when... Kionis is in that two to four foot range. It's pretty much a world-class longboard wave. Uh, I, I've been having a ball out there. I've been enjoying not wearing a leash as well, but you have to go out quite early to not wear a leash. Cause yeah, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy in the middle of the eight o'clock morning rush hour surf crowd where you're falling off out the back and you're eight foot six, really, really heavy log <laughs> is sliding sideways <laughs> through innocent families that are just yeah. minding their own business on the inside. It's a it's kind of a tough situation with a with with a leash and longboard, isn't it? Because on one hand, it's you you just can't put yourself in a position where you're going to lose your board around a family. You know, hitting someone is obviously priority that you can't do that. But wearing a leash makes a lot of things really difficult on a longboard, especially when you get into cross stepping and a lot of movement on the surfboard. It kind of it it does make it pretty hard to to do some of those things. Well, you wear a knee leash, right? I usually try to surf times a day when nobody's in the water and I'll wear no leash just because with the amount of movement you're doing on the board, it's, it's just gets really. That's kind of interesting. I, I, I've been surfing without a leash most over Christmas and doing the same thing and getting in early. Um, and then 
there was a couple of days where it started getting a little bit bigger and I still wanted to go out on the on that board and, and there was a few more people around and I, I bought a, you know, a calf leash and I actually found that I was getting on the nose a lot more and being a lot braver, especially when the waves mm-hmm. started getting a little bigger just because I wasn't thinking I'm going to lose the board. And I, I'm a big advocate of when the opportunity presents itself, going out and surfing without a leash on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't emphasize enough safety first and yeah. only when the opportunity presents itself, mm-hmm. i.e. when there's no one around and yeah. you know all that kind of thing. But going out without a leash on because it, it really changes the way you think about the board. You're really suddenly very conscious that you're standing on this board mm-hmm. rather than just messing around attached to it yeah mm-hmm. and it when you're walking up and down and even when you're performing turns i i can't really articulate it but it's like there's something changes in your brain it just feels really different it's like the difference between i guess standing on a skateboard and being clipped into a snowboard it's that same kind of difference mm-hmm. um, and it feels really cool and i think it does make you surf better but yeah i also think you know going out when you're learning to cross step and making sure you've got a knee leash on so that you can be a bit braver is yeah good and you and i were talking this morning about uh, you're going to do some cross stepping tutorial videos yeah, at, at the resort, we get a ton of people that talk about cross-stepping and, and ask about cross-stepping and nose-riding, and I think there's kind of a few fundamental flaws that people have when they're thinking about those two things, particularly they group cross-stepping and nose-riding together, and uh, hopefully we're going to work on a couple videos that help everybody out a little bit with that. Yeah, we had a lot of fun this morning, Harry, Asher, and I were breaking down. We, we got it down to like seven... Yeah, we got about a six or seven video yeah which we think that when you put them all together that'll pretty much give you the building blocks of how to go out and cross step and yeah so stand by for that one listeners we'll look forward to sharing it with you guys yeah actually we get a lot of emails asking when we're going to put new video tutorials up and we we are they're coming (laughs) the studio is in in the process of being constructed in your spare room it's actually right behind me now we've got the dampening equipment to keep the sound down the tripod set up the whiteboards bought like we are moving forwards we're ready there are still two beds in the way well that's what i'm referring to as the sound dampening equipment oh, right, okay. <laughs> are you going to refer to your mum in that way when she's staying in that room <laughs> yeah the sound dampening equipment is in the corner with her tea <laughs> right we should move on to the news it has been a little while since we last spoke to you. We last did a recording just before uh, we went away on Christmas, mid-December. We will come round to Pipeline shortly, but before that, Slater's Wave Pool. Oh my God, everything's just changed. I will say, if you go back through some of the older podcasts, we kind of called the Wave Pool. When I talked to Slater in France this year, he was indicating that it was just going to change surfing, which I personally thought he was just promoting his design a little much, but yeah. Yeah. It, listeners, if you haven't seen it, go to surfsimply.com stroke podcast and I will put the link to the video in, in the show notes. Is it stroke or slash? Stroke always sounds a little creepy to me. Yeah, stroke yeah, is a little weird. likes a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> go to surfsimply.com slash podcast and I will put a video in the show notes. There have been a lot of videos with wave pools in them. There was the, the Dion Aegeus edit in Dubai, there was the Taj Barrow edit in Malaysia, there has been all the footage that's come out of Wave Garden. Can't it's forget old Typhoon Lagoon in Orlando. Typhoon Lagoon. And it looks fine, it looks it looks fun. Uh, the, the potential to go out and surf the same wave over and over again and work on technique has always been appealing to me, but this, this looks pretty legit this is this is the first wave i I mean we've talked about it on the show before so i won't go into like what Mm -hmm. we think is so great about wave 
uh, pools. But mm-hmm. I mean, suffice to say, from a coaching point of view, if you can control the variables, it just helps enormously. So, you know, yeah. we're coming from that angle. From a personal surfing point of view, I haven't ever been that excited about wave pools. It's, mm-hmm. it's more from a coaching point of view as yeah. a as a tool of being able to take someone to the gym to train them to get better for for the game sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I watched that video and I just thought, oh, okay, well, I don't even want to go in the ocean anymore. I'd yeah, quite happily just, just surf that. I mean, that's just a better wave than <laughs> almost all the waves you're going to surf at almost any beach in the world. It, yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? The, the one thing I did enjoy was, I think, within 24 hours of that landing, and there was there was very little hint as to where it was. Slater dropped a couple of things saying it was somewhere in California. Mm-hmm. And I think within 24 hours, there were three blogs online that had found it. I thought it was quite funny, though. There was a lot of a fuss with people finding the location. I, I was reading a couple of those things. Then I was like, all right, you know where it is. Like, great. What are you yeah, going to do you- now? Just because you found it doesn't you mean you're allowed found- to have it. There was a couple of things that I wanted to say about that wave pool. The first one is it's actually a really heavy wave that he's surfing. Mm. I mean, it's yeah, really square. Really, really square. Do you notice how it's a slight little mellower off the takeoff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes really round and then it like fattens out again so you can put some turns in and then it goes round again and then it fattens out again so i thought that was really cool and i think that's really important because if he's going to commercialize it most people in the water can't surf a wave that round they Mm -hmm. just they can't if they can get into it when it's nice and soft and then it kind of goes a bit rounder for them and when they fall off there's no consequences you know it's there's not bits Mm -hmm. of reef sticking out i think it's going to be accessible to a lot more people than a similar wave would be in the ocean but apparently they can move the bottom of the pool around yeah i've heard that the the bottom is is flexible Mm -hmm. um and i i don't know whether they're going to have sort of pneumatic pistons that move it or they're going to you know someone's going to have to go down there with a snorkel on and move things around but i've heard that they can change the bottom contours yeah i think slater's quote on it was the hard part was generating the swell and everything else kind of falls in place afterwards you know if you have that really good swell and you have enough energy moving through the water then the easy part is kind of getting the shape of it yeah well so yeah the the really interesting thing and i i don't know if this is true necessarily but one of the things that Slater was very keen to do that he's spoken about in previous. He had a back and forth with Greg Weber about it because mm-hmm. he's Weber's also are also making a wave pool. And one of the things that they spoke about was the difference between creating a displacement wave, mm-hmm. which is what basically every wave pool has been so far. You displace water either by uh, dumping it into the pool from a, a height or by dragging a sled through the water, and it just creates a a wash effectively you know at the mm-hmm. back of a boat and there's a a significant difference between that and an open ocean wave which is is i, th- I think a gravity wave is the the correct name for it and the the motion of the water is very different on a gravity wave and slater's always said that's what he's trying to produce and if that's what they've done then yeah that's game on game change well yeah just massive game changer so the, the next big challenge, and this is what I want to wait, sit back and see, mm. is how uh, reliable is this machine going to be? Yeah. I mean, because what it doesn't matter if you've got the best wave in the world, if it's breaking down half the time. <clears throat> Snowdonia. <laughs> and well, Dubai and, as well. And, and how expensive is it? And that's the other thing. How expensive is it? I mean, how is it possible to run this thing yeah. uh, and make it work? The other thing that I think is interesting, I'm, I, I, what do you guys think? How is this going to change surfing? And what I mean by that is let's let's fast forward, like, let's say 30 years, okay? Yep. And these wave pools, they, they don't break down. They, you can, you can, 
uh, have a business model where people come and pay to surf and that works. So, you know, pretty much anyone can just set one up. Mm-hmm. And so they're ubiquitous. Is that going to mean less people surfing in the ocean? Absolutely. Or is it going to mean more people getting into surfing and therefore more people surfing in the ocean? Mm, Interesting question. My suspicion is that the number of people in the water won't change that much, but the number of surfers worldwide probably will. Because I think there's a lot of spots at the moment already, you know, in Europe and in America, where the the number of people in the water is already self-regulated because it, it, it you, you turn yeah you, you turn up and you go oh, it's too crowded i'm not going to paddle out in that I, i'll go to the next beach round the waves aren't as good limited number of waves and but, uh, there's not enough room for me yeah so you know okay i wanted to surf first point malibu but it's rammed i'll go and surf somewhere else mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that that's not going to change and i think there will always be the draw of going out in the ocean and and paddling around and catching waves because it's beautiful out there but i do think that having good reliable wave pools will just open it up for a lot more people to get involved with the sport and imagine what it could do to performance standards in surfing oh, i mean talking I about say, talking it. about the gym example i mean now we have a viable gym i there's obviously been a couple waves in california breaking this year a lot with el nino one of them sand spit you need a really big west swell and it's you know one of the crown jewels of california when it's on and so all this footage has come out of it and it's almost an identical version of Kelly Slater's wave pool. So it's a wave that only breaks a couple every couple of years, and now there's, you know, a wave that good that you can surf every day. Yeah. So it, and it's if you watch the footage of Sandspit, the one thing you notice is that every single wave that comes in has a hundred guys. Well, a hundred guys, but I was going to say there's five guys wiping out. For, yeah. For every one guy that actually gets to his feet and makes it, because it's a tricky wave. It's a very steep, critical takeoff mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of water moving around, and for every guy that catches the wave. There's five guys that get washed out the falls or, yeah. Yeah, I honestly, I think Slater's wave pool looked better than Sands Pit. I think it was like, it was a better version of one of the best waves in California. It was it, cool, wasn't it? It just looked like the most fun size, the most fun shape. Yeah. Just, I mean, uh, I'm just so, I, it's, how long is it going to be, do you think, before we get to go and surf one? Well, Wave Garden released their first footage do you remember that that first edit where there was just flat calm lake and that wave just kind of rose out of nothing? yeah it was kind of the same as this film except that it was like for tiny tiny people tiny tiny <laughs> yeah yes uh that they released in 2010 and it was 2015 when surf snowdonia opened yeah so it's probably going to be five years so i yeah i would i would think four or five years before i can't, be I can't wait that long but equally at the same time when surf snowdonia released their footage that was you know that, that they didn't have a full-size test tank where slate has already done that so i wonder when he's going to go ahead and make a left like that I'd i like, know right i'd like to see uh, then again uh we're having a chat this morning that probably the biggest weak point in my surfing is backside tube riding i feel like i could solve it pretty quick there put in a lot of work <laughs> at backside tube riding yeah yeah we, yeah, we were talking a lot about backside tube riding this morning. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, maybe we'll, we could do another section on that in another podcast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we should come up with another series of tutorials just to cover backside tube riding because there's yeah. a lot going on there. Um, the other thing that Slate has been up to is his new range with Firewire that's coming out. And yeah. uh, Firewire updated their whole website the day before yesterday and they're, uh, they're releasing in May Slater's line of boards, which mm-hmm. they're very keen to emphasize are not Firewire boards. They're a separate brand. Uh, because we're sponsored by Firewire, we we get all of their 
release like their press release type email not press releases their uh, I guess sort of in-house emails which go out to all their distributors mm-hmm. yeah. but they're, a lot of them are worded clearly at shops that are stocking Firewise yeah. there was a very strongly worded one that was explaining that if 20% of your retail space was given over to Firewire when Kelly Slater's boards came out they must have their own retail space and not eat into Firewire's retail space mm-hmm. so they're really trying to hammer home that it's a separate brand I was we were talking about longboarding before actually and I was looking up the Firewire longboards and yeah the wingnut longboard looks pretty, pretty cool fun again. I was kind of thinking about maybe getting one of them the only issue with Firewires and longboards is I I like a lot of weight in longboards and Firewire's selling point is that they're really light that's true especially with I mean with the performance longboards I think it's awesome but yeah, with the absolutely. nose riders yeah it is you nice do want a, you want a little weight to almost get a little inertia down the line they've, they've got a lot of boards in their arsenal and they've got a lot of boards that are quite flat and wide short boards mm-hmm. sort of skatey flat easy paddlers their top selling board apparently is the Evo and yeah I saw that so I've got oh, an really? Evo coming. I've, got, I've f- got an Evo coming. You've got an Evo coming too. The other thing I wanted to say about Firewire that I thought was quite good is that they have a volume calculator mm-hmm. and it does ask you to put in, you know, what's your fitness, poor, average, better than average, excellent. Mm-hmm. What's your surf level, beginner, intermediate, advanced, intermediate, advanced. You know, we've talked before about how these terms are so relative that it's very, yes. very difficult. That's um, what I was going to say is it's a shame that they, they do have a very good volume calculator, but they haven't addressed. They ask you what your ability is. They ask you what your fitness is. Mm. And they don't at no point is all it, all it would need is one paragraph to quantify what each of those terms mean. And they haven't put like mm-hmm. average fitness. Okay. Average fitness is you can paddle this far without getting tired. Yeah, I mean, that's been the most useful. We talked about this in the show before, but that's been one of the really useful tools for us is giving people the the language to describe to us where their surfing is at, which is you know something we have on our website and we ask people to tell us about it before they come. But, you know, I think Firewire, if they did that, it would be much better. Having said that, certainly with what I personally think of as average surfing versus you know average fitness and yeah. and all of that when i put in what i just conversationally would think of as my personal levels and all those respective things mm-hmm. it popped out volumes that were pretty close to what i'm riding yeah. which i thought was pretty good but also mm-hmm. i know from speaking to people that other people have very very different ideas about what above average or below average surfing yeah. and fitness are so anyway I, mean, I just i think they're on the right lines there but like yeah. you say they need some clarification i mean you think just in the variation that you would get from a an average British surfer and an average American surfer, just the difference in quality. I tell you what you wouldn't have, this is the best segue ever, I tell you where you wouldn't have any difference in quality with British surfers, and that's between men and women's prize nice, money. Nice uh-huh. segue. I was, very, I was really <laughs> pleased to see this. I thought that, is that was pretty a great cool. step forward. So it's the governing body for competitive surfing in the UK has ruled that any contest that runs male or female, that the, the men's and the women's divisions must have equal prize money. And I think that's fantastic. I, I really hope that that spreads around and that it makes its way through to the WSL. Uh, I think it's great too. And, you know, first of all, I'll just say this. I am like a card-carrying feminist. I don't actually literally have a card. But, you know, sure. I, am, I am of the belief that the world is, despite all of the wonderful changes in the last half a century, still a hugely sexist place and it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Having said that, just for the sake of playing devil's advocate, I think there's a couple of interesting points to think about when you're talking about men's and women's prize money. Yeah. If the goal of the world tour is to entertain people, mm-hmm. then it could be argued that competitors should be paid according to, you know, 
what they're drawing in. And if mm-hmm. the men are drawing in, you know, five times the viewership of the women, mm-hmm. then paying them more makes, makes sense. sense. It's not about sex. It's just about your your job is to entertain and draw crowds. If you're more entertaining and drawing more crowds, then get paid more. So I think that that, that is an argument. I don't know if I would agree with it because it's you have to uh, make an attempt at ad- addressing the yeah. inequality that currently exists. So there's that. The other thing is from a sports point of view, and this is kind of tied in, but you could say, well, if you're going out and you're surfing 10-foot cloud break and 10-foot chopu and 15-foot pipeline like we saw in December, like probably the, one of the best days of competitive surfing at pipeline that I remember seeing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the girls aren't doing that. They're not putting themselves in those situations. Should that be reflected? Well, but the girls did surf cloud break this year. Um, they did surf Honolulu Bay. They even surfed um, small pipe. Well, that was a expression session. That was a sort of a, a special one-off heat. But yeah, I think I think a lot of the time the girls would do it. They're just not given the opportunity. When the when the events are run side by side, you you look at all the events through the year where the men's and the women both turn up at the same event, and it's oh yeah, the conditions aren't quite good enough for the men to surf. So let's send the women out. I'd well, say this year is a little improvement though, because the women's got well, they got really good windows at several contests. They did, and I, the, the other side there was that on a couple of the events they were staggered. So mm-hmm. for the Fiji event, they didn't have the men and the women overlapping. They had the men, and then they had the women, and so the women got a clean shot and they surfed the best days. Yeah, they have way had way better days and surfed it incredibly. I think that's a, a really good format actually to yeah. have. The men's and the women's back to back, so that the, the infrastructure costs are kept down, and they can, you know, move the media team there and the cameras, and they can set up. And then there's not this kind of crossover of and oh, priority who, of who's going out in the best conditions. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's tricky when you know you look at the European schedule where it really is bang, 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 bang. It'd be quite hard for them to give a two-week waiting period to the men, then a two-week waiting period to the women, then move to the next event, do two weeks, two weeks, then the next event, two weeks, two weeks. Because there's a, fr- a France, a Portugal. What about they set them up and swap them over? So what about they have Portugal set up for, you know, 10 yeah. days and the women are there while the men are in France and then they swap and, and the men go to Portugal and the women go to France? Would there then be the worry that the women wouldn't get any viewership and therefore don't get the advertising revenue? What about you have the show, you know, going on and the com- and the uh just like when you have Wimbledon running what yeah. you have is you have and all these games courts going, going on there's two or three four courts going on and then you know the 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 guy who's directing the show you yeah. know they they choose oh we're going to follow this game for a while we're going to follow this game we're going to now catch up on on this game that happened a few hours ago I can tell you what I mean that could be fantastic yeah that would you be think amazing how slow sometimes watching a surf contest can be because there's a a 40 minute heat and and they're only catching two waves a person how fantastic to just be able to flick over to the women's watch the women's waves flick back to the men's watch the men's waves yeah i bet you could actually run three versions of the webcast you could be run an all men's version all women's version and then a crossover that's a lot of commentary team yeah but they have all the commentary team there anyway they're on a rotation now well i was thinking that they would flick back and forth as waves are being caught Oh. So you would keep the narrative of like one commentary team, but they keep the narrative going. They're basically dual watching the heat. That'd be cool. So that you know, rather than just filling airtime while the surfers are paddling around. With Martin actually, Potter telling you about his 1989 world title. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> using the word momentum a lot. They're just flicking back to the men's tour where somebody's just caught a wave. On the subject of contests, actually, there was the Big Wave World Tour event uh, took place last weekend at Toda Santos. Yep. Did you guys watch any of it? Josh yeah. Kerr. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, yeah, Josh Kerr won. But I, I'll, I'll say I'm not sure if it was a hangover from all the 
big jaws that's been going on lately, but that event was not nearly as exciting. Well, that was that was certainly the unfortunate thing, wasn't it? The Big Wave World Tour event took place on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the day before on the Saturday was what's being called one of the days of days of jaws. No, yeah, only, one of the best days of jaws surfing yeah, ever. Not only was the Big Wave World Tour event at Jaws in December a fantastic event, but then the day before Todos Santos, there was one of the best days at Jaws in history, and all the web edits were coming out on that as Toda Santos was going on. The one thing I would say you should check out if you haven't seen it is Bethany Hamilton towing into huge jaws after six months after giving birth, which I think is pretty amazing. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. The biggest thing in the news then, we can't uh, ignore it any longer, the men's world tour finished at Pipeline. A fantastic event, Pipeline. Maybe a little anticlimactic on the final day in terms of conditions. um, Tough conditions to end in. Adriana D'Souza ended up winning the event and thereby taking the world title. Probably the a surprise finish in the in the world title race. Yeah, did not see that one coming, especially with the narrative going on of Mick Fanning at the time, the way he uh, lost his brother the day before the event started, and then all that momentum in that round four heat two, what they're calling that super heat. I mean, he looked like this was just his event, and then it just kind of fizzled on final day. It, uh, I, I felt like. Mick Fanning's year this year. I mean, if someone was going to make a Hollywood movie it about would be competitive him. surfing, it would basically have been Mick Fanning's year this year. You know, he's, he had a tough year last year, came on to doing okay, middle ground, gets attacked by a shark in the middle of an event, gets himself back up the ratings into a, a potential world title thing. His brother dies the day before the Before final. the event starts. You go out, I mean, all-time pipeline incredible overhead waves and then the final day going out i think it was actually mid-event his brother died and it was mm-hmm. it was after that day of intense competition he discovers his brother's died and they went out on the final day and the conditions were terrible and and he then lost his heat obviously his mind was elsewhere yeah i, I don't know how mick fanning is able to have the mental strength that he does have i mean it's just extraordinary i'd really love to talk to him and, and actually be able to find out what tools he uses when he's really feeling the pressure because he does have this ability to block everything out and focus on what he's doing Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's interesting if you look at the science behind it we tend to think of ourselves as being sort of victims of our emotions or or early subject to our emotions and that's certainly true but you can actually derail your emotions and take control of them by just distracting yourself for about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can have a very, very powerful effect. And when you're feeling an emotion and it's, and it's really, really strong, y- you can, the idea that you could make that emotion go away within about three minutes seems almost impossible. But it's actually quite easy to do just by making the conscious decision to focus the front part of your brain, the, the cognitive uh, mm-hmm. executive function part of your brain on something else. And I mean, I wonder whether that's something he consciously has worked on and has done, or I wonder if that's just something he's got a natural aptitude for. Yeah, Mick was certainly, he was one of the first guys to be sat there in the competitive area, headphones on. Uh, I think it's Tool he listens to, isn't it, before he goes out? So yeah. it used to be. Now you see all of them doing it. The five minutes before they heat their headphones on and warming up. But Mick was one of the first guys that I, I remember seeing really getting himself into that headspace and, and having a preheat playlist. So with all that Mick Fanning uh, drama in mind, do you think that the best surfer is the world champ this year? I think that the best competitive surfer is. I think Adriano, I know a lot of people don't like the the style with which he surfs. 
mm-hmm. but that's not any part of the criteria. You look through that that judging criteria, and style is not a component of it. And if if you want to pick out who's the most stylish surfer, it's probably not even somebody that's on tour. There's just there's a couple examples this year, things that just went Adriano's way. That, for example, uh, his heat against Philippe Toledo at lowers this mm-hmm. year, it, on paper clearly looks like Philippe Toledo is going to win. I watched the heat. I just thought clearly Philippe Toledo won the heat. And if he didn't go on, he wouldn't have won the world title. I think there was just a lot of things that kind of fell Adriano's way this year, which, you know, good for him. He clearly has put the effort in for years, and this was just his year. But I, think, I mean, I tough. think he is a, a very, very good surfer, and I think he's he's done a very good job this year of playing the game, playing the game that is competitive surfing, doing what's needed. He's not gone out and got 10-point rides, mm-hmm. but he's got 7-point ride after 7-point ride after 7-point ride. Did he have any 10-point rides this year? No. Oh. oh, did he? Did he get a 10 at pipe? Maybe. I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't answer that. Yes, he did. I think there's there's been a lot of criticism of, of Adriano de Souza and also of, of the WSL and the judging and mm-hmm. a lot of discussions about style coming up. And I think that there are really three separate issues that, that people have, although I don't think it, they've been really separated out before. One of them is this conversation about style and how important it is. And I think we'd all agree that no one looks at Adriano D'Souza and, and tries to emulate his style. Yeah. Another one is just in terms of functionality, is he the best surfer in the world? And, you know, again, I would say he's not. I mean, people, style aside, you know, John John, probably everyone would agree is, is doing the best surfing right now or Gabriel mm-hmm. Medina. Uh, and, you know, I don't think Adriano is the best surfer in the world. And I think that that is used to be the case didn't it where everyone thought you know talking 10 20 years ago where people thought that the best surfer isn't the guy winning the world tour unless it was Mm -hmm. slater that discrepancy i think is an issue because style aside you do want the best functional surfer to be the world champion Mm -hmm. and i think that they need to look at that the third thing is which i'm only going to touch on very briefly because we we talked about it on the show i think a year ago when gabriel medina won his title but you know, there is this kind of race element to it where the, you know, it's everyone is very pro their country and therefore by default anti another country. And I mean, you guys, you know, we've had long talks about ethics and politics over uh-huh. coffee fueled post surf brunches by the beach. Mm-hmm. So you guys kind of know how I feel about this. But, you know, essentially, I feel like any, it, it, we, as humans, we always want to put ourselves into groups to the exclusion of other groups. And I just think it's a very unhealthy thing that we should try and evolve beyond as a society. And, Particularly with the Australians, it's funny how they criticize the exact same thing in Adriano D'Souza that they all praise Sally Fitzgibbons for, which is essentially winning heats, but without really having any style and really not doing anything very exciting, yeah. just getting yeah, the job done. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that when it comes down to that, that's, that's really a shame. So I want to come on to the, the style issue a little bit later on because we've got a good email about that. But, you know, is he the best surfer in the world just functionally? I mean, what do you guys think? It's an interesting side, isn't it? That actually now with so much social media going on and so many video edits coming out that the world title doesn't matter like it used to. I think it's interesting that we have this multi-million dollar industry that actually puts more weight on free surfing. You don't walk into a shop and see pictures of somebody winning the world title on the wall. You walk into the shops and see pictures of somebody surfing in board shorts and no top because that's what sells clothing. And and so guys like Craig Anderson can go out there and be incredibly stylish and people uh, you know people can put them on the list as being 
one of the best surfers in the world, despite him not having any any concrete evidence to that beyond his videos. But he's put the, he's put more video projects out in the last two years than half of the WCT combined. I love it. His video projects interest me a lot more than finals right. day at pipe did this year and so then is competitive surfing is no longer our meter by which we judge who the best surfer is so i think a lot of it comes down to what's moving product yeah. and a big part of that is that sort of that x factor that captures people's imaginations mm-hmm. and it can be the most inane arbitrary thing you know it, there can be 20 surfers out at Waimea and and Greg Knoll is wearing the black and white stripy shorts so that he he sticks out you know there could be a bunch of surfers that are all amazing in right hand point breaks but Rasta's riding he's got his long hair and he's got his unbuttoned shirt you yeah. know that there's just there's just so many elements Donovan Frankenreiter for example you know not so famous now but 10 years ago he was sort of the, one of the big famous free surfers and i mean cut his hair, shave off his beard, stick him on a shortboard. And he's another sort of not quite there pro surfer. Mm-hmm. And then he has this whole thing where he rides these, you know, single fins and he's got the long beard and he plays the guitar and dresses like a hippie. And he suddenly, he's just nailed his niche. You know, and I think that you, you need to separate those things out. Yeah, well, I guess it is that interesting line that we draw that surfing does tip the tightrope between a sport and a performance art. And there are a whole bunch of people who approach surfing not as a sport. They approach it as a performance art. And you have a whole bunch of people that approach it solely as a sport. And what you prefer, what you see is is different. But say that's not the true of tennis. Nobody's going to buy equipment or go to watch someone because their forehand serve is really stylish. So stylish. And I love the way he just keeps his feet together and his knees knocked as he does his forehand serve. No, is is he winning grand slam tournaments or not because and that's all i care about i also probably think there's a lot less variation in equipment in tennis rackets than surfboards oh i don't know yeah i, I mean, think well no but at top end like top end shortboards give it to somebody off the street i bet they couldn't pick pick apart like models that we see wild differences in i don't think a, a, a lay person on the street would be able to pick it out and i bet if you have a, a golf player or a tennis player they could talk about minute adjustments to string tension and size of the head and oh, i'll like bet any board in my quiver on that we could get any tennis player and hand them my bonzer ruse shortboard no, and no, no, then no, your I, evo no. and okay, they, they would notice a pretty dramatic difference no 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 but i'm talking about shortboards like just take it to a performance shortboard that well luckily surfing with. encompasses more than just shortboards yeah i mean craig anderson's not riding shortboards there's people out there on longboards and single fins no that's true but if twin it, fins i I'm, mean our favorite section from psychic migrations was all about a twin fin wasn't absolutely, it? I but I'm, talking, I'm talking about surfing as a sport like golf doesn't have that golf doesn't have stylized play tennis doesn't have it it's only the sport and if you take surfing as only the sport every single person on the wct is riding shortboards and i don't think i mean i reckon i would be hard pushed to take mixed boards adriano's boards felipe's boards and pull the differences out. Give it to a lay person on the street. They're going to have no clue about the differences between those three boards. Okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think we all agree about that. But I mean, we're talking more bro- more broadly around mm-hmm. surfing outside those kind of topics. So that's the taking it away from a sport and into a performance art. Well, I am just feel pretty fortunate to participate in an activity that has that performance art facet yeah, to it. 100%. I love that, that we have those two aspects and that I can go out and ride weird equipment. Because if I go out and do the things that I probably would do on a tennis court with a tennis ball and a racket, 
nobody else would want to be anywhere near me. Oh, the, uh, the mind boggles. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, let me read you this. Let me read you this uh, email because it's kind of touching on that. And I think this is from Michael, and I think he kind of hits the nail on the head. I won't read you the whole thing, okay. but he says just listen to Reese's interview with Bill Finnegan this morning, and then he says a lot of very nice things. Thank you very much for that. Uh, actually, quite a few people sent me nice emails about the Bill Finnegan interview, which I was grateful for. It's the first time I've interviewed an author about their book. She's referring to the John Sellier part of the interview. Mm-hmm. I was excited to read that his analytical approach to the sport is paying off and aligns well with Surf Simley's approach and my own approach to progressing as well. So a follow-up question to the interview I would like to get your take on. Finnegan writes, style is everything. This illustrates one of the central dilemmas I see in surfing. Is it art or sport or both? And perhaps more pointedly, Adriano D'Souza is world champion with a style? Question mark. As a developing surfer, should I watch Adriano to appreciate his fundamentals and his workmanlike approach, or should I instead be watching Ryan Birch's 20 scene in Psychic Migrations over and over again to appreciate and emulate uh, his style and flow? And finally, as a surfer who is raising three young surfers in the family, does style develop on its own, or can it be taught slash coached? So I think that there's just three really interesting points to make about this. Mm -hmm. The first one is that I don't ever use the word style when I'm coaching. And the reason I don't ever use it is because it's an umbrella term which covers a lot of different aspects of surfing. And I really like specificity of language. And I think it's really important when you're coaching. Mm -hmm. And as I was saying before, I think that style can be the way someone holds their hand, you know, as they come out of a barrel. There was that wonderful round four, I think round four heat two, you know, the super heat with uh, Mick and John, John and Kelly at pipe, Mm -hmm. amazing conditions. Kelly's last wave about a minute before the end when he drops into this insane, air drops into this backdoor wave and he comes out with his head down and his hands behind his back. You know, obviously showmanship. And actually every bit as much of showmanship as Adriano fist pumping. It's just, uh, it's it's every, it's done every bit as much for the benefit of the crowd. It's just a different thing that he thinks looks cool. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not necessarily about functional surfing. A lot of people would say it's about style. A lot of surfers come out and they never claim. They just, you know, have their hands by their sides. I think that that can be style. It could be the way Donovan Frankenreiter cuts his hair so that when he's doing a big turn, his hair's like out behind him or Dave Rastovich's shirt is. It could be the equipment someone chooses to use. It could be the way, and this is true for most surfers, 99% of surfers in the water, it could be the way that they just surf by default without really consciously thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, so it, it can mean a lot of things. And I don't think it's a very helpful turn. If you want to talk about how you're holding your head, talk about that. If you want to talk about should you claim when you come out of a barrel, if you want to talk about what equipment should you wear or, or be surfing on, talk about those things. I, I think style gets talked about a lot because it's a very ubiquitous term and naturally people aren't arguing about style they're really arguing about what the word style means to them Mm -hmm. so i think that's just the first thing to sort of bring up the second thing is if you put style first well what are the possible pitfalls of that Mm -hmm. so you know i know you guys have seen this too uh over your lives coaching and surfing but one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of surfers make is that they don't try new things because they don't want to look kooky yeah and big pitfall Big, big pitfall. Uh, I think we've mentioned this on the show before, but at, uh, at Facebook, they have written on the wall, make mistakes, make them big and make them quickly, which is something that I really advocate when you're learning to surf. And I tell people all the time when I'm coaching them, you want to be going out and looking stupid and trying to do new things that you can't do. Yes, you may look 
worse for that one session or for that one wave, but over 10 or 20 years, you're going to master those things Mm -hmm. and then you're going to be able to do them. Then you're going to be able to do them well and then you're going to be able to do them stylishly. And because you're improving, you're going to get a lot more joy out of surfing. And that is really the point. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you want to impress someone one day when you're just surfing one session or on one wave, then sure, do the things that you know you can do really well. But as a general approach, try to do the things you can't do. Yes, you'll look stupid, but you'll get better and you'll get a lot more joy out of it as a result. So I think that's the big danger with trying to put style first. And I see actually the majority of surfers fall into that trap. I think that is something you need to be much more cautious of than trying to do good functional surfing. I would I would say as well, and as surf coaches, we get to do this a lot. You stand waist deep in the water looking out and you see a lot of people's waves. But I, I think it's true if I think back to my skateboarding or uh, any, anything else I've tried to do. If you see someone going for it and falling actually in your own head you give them props for trying it and and you you raise the bar on how you think of that person even though they didn't make it and in fact they may have looked terrible trying to make it you still raise the bar in your own head as to how they do it whereas if they just stand there and do the same thing over and over again however stylish they they look you quite quickly kind of knock that knock that person down a little in your own head and I, I it, it always is interesting to me because I get it. Like I'm surfing along. I, oh, someone's watching. I'm not going to try something that will make me look an idiot. But actually I know from having been the person watching that if I was to try it, they would probably think better of me. I thought it was really interesting the two people that Michael used to compare surfing to. So whether he should be looking at Adriana D'Souza or Ryan Birch. And I think they both have really fundamentally different views of how they wanted to improve. So you have Adriano D'Souza on one hand, who it's pretty clear in his surfing that he wanted to be the best in that competitive mindset. So what we were talking about as a sport, Uh, he's perfected, you know, he's got this beautiful bottom turn uh, that sets up his maneuvers. You know, he's spent the time at these locations on tour. He's pretty much put all his resources into improving in one facet. Now you can totally align yourself with that and look for him as inspiration. I mean, he's world champ. You got to give credit where credit's due. Um, Ryan Birch has kind of gone the other direction when thinking about his quality of surfing. It's also good to preface that, uh, when he was an amateur, he was one of the best competitive amateurs in coming up in the U S ranks. So he's not just a twin fin guy. You know, he had a pretty big base of surfing before he spread out to that direction, but he's weighted different things in surfing more important. He's explored a lot of different board designs. Uh, he, he's done a lot of bonzer work. He's, uh, that twin fin, he shapes a lot of them, and it's not in any way directed to be the best at doing a certain thing. You know, he he's trying to ride the wave differently. Uh, he's he's exploring different ways to get speed, to have that speed, power, and flow, and comparing them as a little bit apples and oranges. I think that when we've talked about surfboards and using different equipment before, uh, you know, I've said on the show that I think a good rule of thumb is don't write anything off until you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good way of approaching the issue of style. Mm-hmm. If you see someone out there that's doing something and you think that looks cool, you know, like, for example, one thing that I think looks really cool is when Dane Reynolds takes off on his backhand, rather than grabbing the rail with his, sort of his leading hand and then putting his trailing hand out behind him in a sort of pig dog type style, sometimes what he does is he just puts both hands behind oh, him in beautiful. the face. Yeah, and it, and it just looks like super cool. 
so you know when i'm out surfing and the waves are barreling and i'm going right you know probably one or one, one wave in three i might try and do that on the takeoff and never ever stick it by the way it's super difficult to do. <laughs> yeah really really but difficult. you know i'm having fun trying to figure it out and taking a board to the back of the head on more than one occasion in the process but i'm not going to like write that off until i can do it which may, which probably never happened <laughs> yeah and i think i think that's the whole point that's there's the pro you know we talked about this before but surfing is about the process not about the result i think that for for most people not for Adriano D'Souza and maybe the top 100 surfers in the world, but for the vast majority of surfers, when they have the style versus function conversation, they're not having it on, they're drawing a false analogy between themselves and people like Adriano and Ryan. Mm -hmm. And really for most everyday surfers, trying to look stylish means not trying maneuvers. Mm -hmm. And that is a big, big mistake. So my advice to the vast majority of surfers is put function before fashion. Yeah. Go out there, try and surf well functionally. Look at the video of yourself. If you don't like the way you're holding your hand and you want to try putting it in a different place because that's what you see John John doing and you think it looks cool, great. Go out and learn how to do that. But you can't do that until you can do the cutback first. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're, if, just to draw one analogy, if you're learning a musical instrument, you know, you don't want to just play the same song over and over again. Learn a new song, play it really badly. When you can then play it better and then play it really well, then, yeah, you can start making it look really stylish by, you know, you ever seen that footage of Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock and he's just talking to someone off stage while playing this epic guitar solo? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and other guitarists would be their legs apart, you know, like just... doing a big power stance, looking into the middle distance, biting their bottom lip. And Jimi Hendrix is just talking to someone about I don't know getting him whatever I don't know whatever, yeah, whatever he needs whatever whatever Jimmy needs to keep him going while he's playing the solo and it's just so cool and stylish so put the function first and then sprinkle the style on top afterwards just like the icing on the cake but don't put the style first because otherwise you won't get the function and then you've got nothing you're listening to the surf simply podcast fantasy surfer Asher Taking it home. Congratulations, sir. Won the uh, the men's fantasy surf. Well, where, where, where did I finish? Uh, a long way down. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to thank all the little people that made this happen. Uh, WSL, the podcast for putting our club together. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> um, so Joel and Austin, you guys came in, in in second and third place. So I don't know if you guys want to email us with uh, any, any little uh, messages there. But we do hopefully now have on the line the winner and runner-up of our Women's Fantasy Surfer League. We've got uh, Brandon Boyce in America and Corin Daniel in the UK. Hi, guys. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Yep, coming through great. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Brandon, I think you finally uh, just, just pipped Corin in, in, at the last event. Yeah, yeah, it came down to the finals there. Um, pretty close match. Definitely, were, I was keeping an eye on it the whole the whole tournament there, and managed to slip a few uh, slip a few past him in the last day there. So, you, Brandon, you don't sound like you're from the states. Are you from Canada by any chance? Yeah, I was going to correct you guys. I'm actually from Canada. Ah, that's what I thought. Ah. So, so t tell us about tell us about what surfing you do up there. It's pretty chilly, right? Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, it's currently about ten degrees. Celsius. There's about a foot of snow on the ground, so I'm pretty jealous that you guys are sitting in paradise. But um, we've kind of had to just deal with what we get here. So we've we've started river surfing actually in one of the rivers out in the mountains. Oh wow! Uh, five mil wetsuit, hoods, booties, the whole nine yards. It's pretty cold, but it gets us our our board time for sure. That's fantastic. And Corin, whereabouts are you based? 
I'm in Cardiff in South Wales. Ah, excellent. And uh, how's the surf there at the moment? Um, it's been pumping yesterday and today. Oh, really? Where do you normally go to from Cardiff? Generally down to Porthcawl, Surf Rest Bay and that kind of area. Oh, very nice. So then w- with the Fantasy League, did you guys have any, any specific tactics? Corin, were, uh, were you having any particular tactics for picking your team? This is like your post-heat interview, you see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no tactics. I just pick the surfers that I kind of like all the time. Pretty much the same ones all the time. <laughs> that, that's the that's the tactic I go for each year. I like I pick the people I, I I feel like I'd most like to sit down and have a beer with, and then I watch myself drift from tenth position to a hundredth to a hundred fiftieth, and then I get mocked by my fellow hosts. <laughs> and Brandon, how about yourself? Did you have any uh, any particular tactics when you were picking your team? I think it's just a uh, combination of kind of watching the girls throughout the the year and kind of just seeing who's hot and who's not and Listening to your guys' podcast for sure helped out. So I kind of just picked my team a couple of days before the event and went with it. So, so something I'd like to ask both of you guys, you're our first listeners that we've had on the show. Yeah, uh, congratulations. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and so I wanted to ask you, as, as listeners to the show, what, what, what bits do you enjoy and what bits would you like to see more of in the coming year? Because obviously we've, we haven't been doing it very long and we're, we're still kind of figuring out the formula and the format that works. So, so what, what would you like to see more of next year? I don't know. I think you guys have it uh, have it right. You guys are pretty dialed in with the the equipment stuff. I always like hearing your guys' profiles of interviews of the surfboards and kind of that part of it. I think you guys are doing a good job. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And just for the other listeners, we didn't prime Brandon to say that before he came on. <laughs> and 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 Corin, what about you? Um, I'm the same. I, I like. Um... I'm not a very technical person, so I really enjoy listening to all the technical stuff that you come out with. It's, it's a very different way of looking at it for me. So I quite like all the um, interviews when you bring other people on too. I just wish that the podcasts were sort of maybe a little bit longer because they are over in five minutes when you start listening to them. oh well that's very sweet of you to say so thanks so much i think that we've uh i think we've got a few more interviews with people coming up over the coming year so yeah we'll definitely have a little bit more of that for you just very quickly guys as well i'd love to just get a little bit about you know who you guys are and and where you're from hey corin do you want to start us off just just tell us a little bit about yourself um it's not really interesting i'm I'm, I'm, uh, 43 i think uh-huh. I've been surfing for a couple of years, one of those midlife crisis surfers, really. Okay. Um, I am absolutely astonishingly rubbish, but it doesn't stop me from trying. That's fantastic. Um, Beautiful. I'm totally addicted to the sport and not just the getting in the water. I love all the history around it and everything. It's it's one of the things that I really enjoy about surfing is that it's it's a sport that has so much more outside of, of you know, being on the pitch effectively that there's so much more in and around it that taking part in the sport yeah. if that makes sense yeah what, what's your ultimate surfing goal Corin? i always ask this to our guests when they arrive at the start of their week-long coaching course here in costa rica uh, and, and it's, it, i'm just kind of curious to hear what people say like what's something that you see people doing or something you'd love to be able to do in like 10 years time um Get barreled, I think, is pretty much the only thing I've, I've got as a, an ultimate aim. Yeah, Corin. And, not, and more than once. I don't want to just get barreled once and then die because that would just be a bit pointless. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
that sounds like a very sensible goal. Actually, do you know, it's funny, of, of all of the stereotypes about surfing that I'm a little dismissive of, getting barreled really is the most fun thing you can do on planet Earth, I think. So that's a very good goal to have. But Bra- Brandon, how about you? What, what's, what's something that you, uh, what's your surfing goals? Where would you like to, what would you like to see yourself doing in, in five or 10 years time? Yeah, I think surfing for me is something that I don't think you can ever, you're never going to master, right? It, you get better every single time you go out, every single session. So with me and the group of boys that I surf with from Calgary specifically, we, we all love to travel. So that's a huge part of it. We've been fortunate enough to explore some pretty remote spots. And I think that kind of drives us to wanting to, to surf more. Personally, I've been surfing for 10 years on and off. Um, and I've seen improvements for sure. It is hard being from the prairies landlocked Alberta. Um, it's tough getting in the water for sure, but that's kind of the fun of it. Just always being able to to travel to new spots and meet new people and that sort of thing, I think, is the highlight for me for sure. It keeps me motivated. And what's the next big trip that you've got planned? I'm actually heading down to Nicaragua here in two weeks. We're going to go surf the boom. Oh, very cool. Uh, I've been to the boom. So it's a beautiful place. Waves are really good. So we, we spent some time in, uh, in Indo as well, and we've been down to to know Sarah Guillaume is there and surf your guys' neck of the woods a lot. So we've been pretty fortunate in the areas we've been able to, to check out for sure. Well, Brandon, make sure you come over and say hi if you're down in uh, Guillaume again. And, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. And Corin, do, do you have any trips planned in the near future? Not at the moment. I, uh, I've just managed to get some money together and I'm looking at some way to go at the moment. So. Well, if you make it over to... If you make it over to Nosara, make sure you come and say hello to us when you get here. Absolutely. Awesome. Th- thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for talking to us. Bye. All right. Bye. So, yeah, thank you very much for, uh, for coming on, Brandon. Congratulations winning the Fantasy Surfer League. And, uh, and for now, take care. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Bye. Bye. Okay, so just to wrap up, this episode we've got a few little what to watches that have come about over the last month or so uh the one i've enjoyed most recently was mickey wright's new edit uh, oh. that he did really solely like in very very good north shore pipeline waves but all set to some good old-fashioned rage against the machine killing and in the name the classic rage song oh, with it, this epic mullet haircut yeah terrible haircut but yeah it, I remember, so Killing in the Name is that if it, listeners who aren't sure, that's the song you think it is by Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. you know, but I remember when I got that album and I was like 13, maybe yeah. I remember going along in the car with my mum. I, I was like a really, really annoying teenager. And I remember having that album and going, mum, can we, can we listen to this song? And then my mum, who's just the sweetest, most patient and indulgent and supportive mum you could ever possibly imagine. I remember just sitting there, sort of pleasantly smiling to the whole of Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. And I was waiting for the, I was waiting for the, oh, she's not going to understand, not going to get this, and that's going to vindicate me with my teenaged angst. At the end of it, she was like, well, that was lovely. It's really a lot of fun, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Given the sort of music that's been in surf movies probably for the last five or six years, Actually, it felt really good to have some proper guitar and drum and upbeat punk. Oh, the, yeah, it. there's the bit, bit of... I mean, I, I'm a big fan of jazz and electronica and jazzy electronica, but there's a big part of my heart that really loves early 90s grunge. On that subject, did you see the Julian Wilson edit? That's all... Oh, to jazz? Which is Loved all to it. jazz. It's very similar, like very heavy North Shore surfing, 
but all set to jazz it's instead. Smooth jazz. And it's, it's it is an interesting comparison, and in, in you can see how much music then affects the way that you view and edit. Have you ever, do you ever have this happen to you? I'll, I'll go out surfing sometimes, and, and then I'll find myself humming a song. Mm-hmm. For no reason. For no reason, and I'll think, where's that come from? And then I'll realize that it's from a movie where the waves in that section where that song yeah. is are similar to the waves that day. 100%. Like whenever I'm out longboarding, for years after Shelter came out, I'd find myself humming that air song out of the longboarding yeah. section. La, La Femme d'Argent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it happens to me all the time. One other clip which I did think was interesting, we've all seen shots from underwater at a lot of a lot of breaks, Pipeline and Chopu and Tahiti are both waves that very often they're shot from underwater. I thought this was... Well, apart from that, it was pretty brave of whoever the photographer was, but uh, Jaws, one of the big sessions at Jaws, shot from underwater. I thought it was kind of cool because it's just, it sort of looks like your classic underwater shot to begin with. Yeah. But then, you know, you're always used to seeing the classic old Jack McCoy, you know, the board going along yeah. in front of the wave. And it's, it is that, but the board is tiny, 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 tiny <laughs> it's little like leg. a mini board going along. <laughs> I was thinking about it like, Oh, the guy is he? You know, he's obviously swimming right under the impact zone yeah. of Jaws. Is, do you think he's down there with like tanks on? I would be. I think I would be if I was doing that filming. I'd want tanks so I could just swim deep, 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 deep. But then is someone like telling him where he is and when he can come up and when there's a set coming? I mean, yeah, I don't can know. you imagine that's, that's surfacing with point. tanks to a sixty-foot yeah. <laughs> wave? <laughs> right. That's an interesting. Oh. Or I was also thinking if you, I was also thinking if you were down and then some guy like gets really heavily wiped out and you're down there with your tanks. And then, you know, there's some guy pinned to the bottom and you're just there next to him. I'd be kind of, all right, mate. Yeah. Do you want a little little go breathing? (laughs) Only joking. No, you'll you'll be up soon. It'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That's a tricky one. I mean, I guess it's a a very fixed reef, isn't it? I I mean, I wonder if underwater there's just enough geographically that you could hold position and just know that the wave's going to pitch over the top. It's it's funny. um, I didn't realize this, but, you know, obviously I'd spend a huge amount of time doing water photography and I'm very used to swimming around in waves and then when I was swimming around at Chopu on a, one of the bigger days out there I realized that what I felt like a complete beginner in terms of knowing where I could get away with being underwater mm-hmm. how close can I be to this wave underwater without getting pulled up and over and I got sucked over a couple of times and you know it really shook me up and uh, and I'll be swimming back around and I, it's almost like all of the experience I'd had swimming in the ocean for 20 years didn't even matter. I just had to learn again from zero. Yeah, you know, and I guess there? it must be the same being out there in conditions like that. I mean, he, he's looking at the wave breaking and I can't see how you would know, can I be 10 feet from it? Do I have to be 50 feet from it? You know, yeah. how close is it going to pull me up and over? Yeah. I mean, he looked like he was pretty far away <laughs> from filming the bottom. Yeah. yeah. By far my favorite thing that came up this week was a video that Swell did, online retailer Swell. Because is, is it not Swell that's part of... I think it's an on... Does Surf Stitch own Swell? Yeah. Oh, then the Death Star of surfing. Yeah. The conglomerate So of, are they technically big surf now? Yeah. 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 Anyway, they put a, together a boat trip with Dane Reynolds, Chloe Handino, and Noah Dean, which we've touched on a little bit before with the clip with them all riding Andy Irons equipment. Yeah. But now the full features come out and talk about contrasting styles on a wave. That is a really interesting watch. They all are surfing pretty epic Indo conditions. You'll enjoy it. Take uh, 10 I minutes and watch I haven't, it. I, I saw it came out. It was in my news feed this morning, but I haven't had time to sit and watch it yet. Beautiful. And who out of the three stylistically appeals to you the most? Ooh, 
I hate to say this, but Noah Dean was going off in that movie. No, I, I really like the way Noah Dean surfs. Like he was, he has so much skating inspiration in the airs he does. He tweaks them out really far, and he was taking it to Dane Reynolds, who's pretty much my favorite surfer. Was at one time undisputably the best surfer in the world. But yeah, he he looked really good in that movie. Very good. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us again, guys. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye, everyone. See you later. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.